This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Hey, welcome to C3. Thank you again for hanging out with us today. I want to let you know in a few moments, I'm going to share with you at the end of the message our reopening plans in the life of C3. I've been getting a lot of questions about, hey, when are we going to be able to have services again? And obviously, uh, that is a question that we want to answer. So I'll share that with you at the end of the message. But this morning, we're beginning a brand new series, and we're going to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at a word that Jesus used there. And it's a word that is common in our culture, but it is predominantly used in religious circles. It's not an everyday word, and it's the word blessed. I think we all want the blessing of God in our lives. I know I want God to bless my life. I want him to bless my marriage. I certainly want him to bless my kids. I want him to bless my career. I want him to bless our church. I want him to bless you. I want him to bless our communities. And so blessing, the blessing of God is something we chase and something we want, but we've taken this word and we've made it a religious word when actually back in scripture, it was a common ordinary word. In fact, we've made this word so religious that, that often, if you grew up in church culture, you hear the word blessed, people say blessed. We don't do that with any other word. I, I don't say this morning I got dressed. I, I don't say that. We, but somehow we take this word and we make it sort of extra churchy. But what does it really mean? Jesus, the most famous sermon that he ever taught, it's three chapters long. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins with talking about how to have a blessed life, how to guarantee that that God will bless your life, the things you can do, the things I can do, that will set us up to be blessable by God. And it's interesting, the word he uses there in the Greek is the word makarios, and it literally means, in a sense, happy, but it means so much more than happy. It it speaks of a a contentment and fulfillment a complete satisfaction or the idea of a completion of happiness in my life, in my relationships, in my circumstances. And so Jesus goes into this passage and he uses this word telling us how we can experience this unique happiness that's more than happiness. And he says, if you do this in your life, you will experience happily, happily content, happily fulfilled, happily satisfied life. The happiness, the quotient of happiness in your life, in in your relationships, in your family, in your day-to-day, will be complete in your life. This word makarios, it's the same word that was used to describe the island of Cyprus, the happy island, that, that was so rich, so beautiful, so fertile, that you did not have to go beyond its coastline to find perfect and complete happiness. So it's this word that Jesus says, hey, I want to give you the key, eight ways to experience in your life, ongoing, not not momentary, we all know what momentary happiness is, and and momentary pleasure, and we we kind of chase those things, the the vacation, the weekend, the the date you're going on, the new house, We, we chase that momentary happiness, but Jesus says, I want to show you how you can have and experience ongoing happiness in your life. And he gives us these eight keys, and they elevate all of life to a fulfilled, satisfying happiness. Because he shows us how to come alive, not just physically. You can be breathing, but not alive. 
You, you can be existing, but not thriving. He shows us how to come alive, not just physically. He shows us in this passage how to come alive spiritually. Now, there might be some pushback, and you might be thinking, especially if you grew up in church, a phrase that I heard a lot when I was growing up, because I grew up in church, was, hey, God doesn't care if you're happy. God wants you to be holy. Does God really care if I'm happy? Well, I can just say this. As a father, there's nothing that brings me joy more than when my kids are happy. I love watching my kids experience happiness in their lives. And I'm a broken father. I'm not perfect. How much more would a perfect, loving father want his children to be happy? And and if God didn't want us to be happy, why would he take the time, Jesus, as he begins the most famous sermon he ever spoke, why would he, at the beginning, if he doesn't care about our happiness, why would he tell us how to experience it? It's almost like Jesus is saying, Here are the ingredients that will result in absolute contentment and fulfillment and happiness in life. Because it was also Jesus that said, I want you to experience an abundant life, an overflowing life. And so this is the desire. It's God's desire that you and I experience a truly blessed, defined by God, blessed life. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountain and sat down. It was the culture in that day when a rabbi or a teacher would teach. The teacher would sit down and the audience would stand. So Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now think about this. If you had been one of the disciples, if you'd been there that day, you're going to Jesus for ultimate teaching. The words of Jesus, if you think about it, They were so simple, even a little child could understand, but so profound, they actually had the ability to change lives. It's the words of Jesus, what he taught, how he lived, his death, his resurrection, that created this movement that began as being known as the the people of the way that we now call the church that's around a couple thousand years later. So if you'd been one of the disciples, that they're going to Jesus to hear him teach. Imagine what it would have been like to hear Jesus teach. And out of all the things Jesus could have taught on, out of all the things he could have broken down for them and explained, the depths of theology and how to understand big things in the universe, all the things he could have taught, he says, hey, I'm going to talk to you about something that all of you want and all of you can have. And then he moves into verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, hey, this is where you start. He's going to give us these eight keys, but you you start here. On the board game of life, this is where you put the pieces to begin the game. The journey begins at this moment. This is the starting point. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What What does that mean? It actually has nothing to do with being bankrupt financially and everything to do with recognizing where you're bankrupt spiritually. It means to be poor in spirit, that I am honest with myself about who I am, that I see my shortcomings. I see the things in my life that are broken and messed up. I recognize that there is a God and I am not him. I recognize the things, the areas where I'm weak, the areas where I struggle. I live in an authentic honesty with myself in who I am. When I look in the mirror, I don't lie to myself. That's what it speaks of. 
When I was in eighth grade growing up in Texas, I was always fascinated and interested in football. I wanted to play football, but when I was in eighth grade, and I did play football, but for some reason that year, my parents decided it would be good for me to play basketball, and I, I, I kind of wanted to play basketball, and so our church had a church league, and we, we went to something called RAs, Royal Ambassadors, um, where in many ways they made church as boring as humanly possible, but, but RAs, we had a basketball team, and I was on the basketball team, and the entire season... Um, I made two points. I got, I got one shot. And that was at the end of the game, right before a buzzer where I, I don't, I didn't even shoot like this. I had no style to my shot. It was just like I threw the thing up and it hit. Um, I had a pattern. I, I would occasionally get fouled, fouled out. Uh, I would foul out because I approach every sport, basketball, golf, whatever it is, like it's football. But I recognize very, very quickly. And, and like, you're not shocked. You're not watching this thinking, he looks like a basketball player. I bet he played basketball. Like Nobody's thinking that. And so to be poor in spirit is to recognize the reality of who I am, not just my physical structure, but who I am spiritually. That word poor literally means absolute abject poverty in a spiritual sense. So when I, when I truly recognize who I am, then I fully recognize who I need. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, without Jesus in my life, I'm not enough. Without Jesus in your life, no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you are, no matter where you ranked in your graduating class or or where your title is in the company or what you've accomplished, no matter what the size of your bank account or how fast the car you drive is, without Jesus in my life, I'm not enough. Spiritually speaking, alone, I have no assets. I have nothing to bring to show and tell with God. I am in spiritual poverty. Psalm 46 reminds us, the Lord God of Jacob blesses everyone who trusts and depends on him. See, being poor in spirit means there's a reality in my life that I can't depend on me. I'm not good enough. I can't rely on me. And not just through this life, but this life goes by so quickly. And then we spend, you spend, I spend forever in eternity. So the Lord God of Jacob blesses everyone. There's that word again, blesses, who trust and depends on him. So being poor in spirit means I I depend, I, I fully rely on God, in my life, I depend on him. In my relationships, I depend on God. With my health, in my tomorrows, as I look at my finances, as I I navigate stressful situations and the pressure that comes in life and the decisions that have to be made, I depend on God. Because the reality is, nobody in my life has let me down more than me. And that's probably true of you as well. Often we tend to depend on ourselves, but Jesus begins this whole thing. He says, you've got to start right here and recognizing there is one God and you're not it. I'm not it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what I notice in these verses, very quickly, it, it, it comes to us. His disciples in verse 1, the end of verse 1, came to him. So where do you go in life to be blessed? What is it that you're chasing to create blessing in your life? What do you think it is that you have to go to to have blessing blessing in your marriage or in your finances or in your career 
or in your friendships and relationships? What are the ingredients? What do you chase to experience blessing? And in this verse, Jesus says very clearly, chase poverty. Chase spiritual poverty. The disciples went to Jesus to hear his teaching. I go to Jesus because I need him. So how do we actually live poor in spirit? Man, okay, I get it. I understand what it means, but what does it look like on Monday? How do you live this on Thursday? Practically speaking, how do I bring this into my life? Because I want the blessing of God in my life. How do I live poor in spirit? I go to Jesus for wisdom, just like the disciples did. I create a habit in my life. Going to Jesus for wisdom means I create a habit in my life of listening to what God says, not what I think. Who do you listen to more when you have a decision to make? Do you go to God to see what he has to say? Or do you listen to you as you try to logically and reasonably with your own biases and your own desires, figure out what you want? And do you, do you ever sometimes go to people when you're trying to make a decision who will tell you what you want to hear and you know ahead of time what they're going to say? And there's some people you're not going to go to because you know what they want to say and you don't want to hear the truth, you've already decided in reality what you want to do. And so you'll talk to people that you think will feed that and you'll convince yourself. But the way that I I go to Jesus for wisdom is I, I create this habit of listening to what God says, not what I think. Proverbs chapter 14 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that seems to be right. As you're thinking about that investment, and you decide you don't need to go to God. You can figure it all out. And on paper, it looks so good. This is it. This has to be it. This is going to work. It, it appears to be right. The relationship that you want and that you're chasing, it, it just seems like it's meant to be. And the danger in that is when I only consult me and my feelings, I have a very limited perspective, just my life. In a limited scope of time, just my life. But when I go to God for wisdom, when I do what the disciples did, they went to Jesus, then I open it up to God's perspective and God's time frame and all that God knows and sees. There is a way that appears to be right. They say that the most common words before somebody makes a big mistake and hurts themselves somehow, the most common words are, watch this. There's another thought. Those are the most common words, but the most common thought that can damage our lives quickly is, it just feels right. It just feels right. Or or sometimes, sometimes if you talk to people that have gone to church a long time, they say it like this, God's just given me a piece about it. I remember there have been occasions, I remember this one particular couple that I had a meeting with a few years ago, and they shared with me, oh man, after our conversation, God has just given us such a peace about this and, and this direction in our lives. And within a day, within a day, after talking to a couple other people, then they said, oh, God's just given us a peace to go in a whole different direction. Hey, God is not a fickle pickle. God's peace does not change day by day on what you and I think we desire. You're relying on you, not God. And if we rely on our feelings, hey, your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will put you, my feelings will put me on the emotional roller coaster of going up and down and all around and mess your life up. I am not good enough, wise enough, smart enough, talented enough to rely on myself 
I've got to go to Jesus for wisdom. Proverbs has been called the book of wisdom. Chapter three, verse five says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health and your very bones will will vibrate with life. I go to Jesus for wisdom. So what does that look like? The disciples could actually go to where Jesus would sit and teach while everybody stood. How do I do that? How do I practically go to Jesus for wisdom today, tomorrow, throughout this week? It's very simple. You read God's word each day and you talk to him throughout the day. It's through reading scripture and praying. If you're a follower of Christ and you're not spending a few moments each day, it doesn't have to be hours, a few moments each day reading the word of God and you're not talking to him throughout the day. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. Our prayer is not a start and stop. Every time we encounter something we need to talk to God about, our prayer is an ongoing flowing conversation throughout the day. So when I read God's word each day and I talk to him throughout the day, I'm going to him for wisdom. If you're, if you're a Christ follower and you're not spending some time reading God's word each day, you're not going to Jesus for wisdom. If you're not spending some time talking to God each day throughout the day in prayer, you're not going to God for wisdom. So how do I live poor in spirit? The first thing is I, I go to Jesus for wisdom. The second thing we have to do, if we want to live poor in spirit and set ourselves up to be blessable, I rely on God's power daily. I've got to rely on his power, not my power. My power is limited. His is not. Psalm 84 verse 5 says, you bless all who depend on you for their strength. Hey, this might be a verse you want to jot down or put in your phone, something you want to look at each day, because I don't know about you, but there's some mornings I wake up and what I'm facing that day, maybe a meeting I have to have, uh, uh, maybe a conversation I need to have with, with a couple that's walking through something and I don't have all the answers. And as a pastor, they're coming to me, maybe a difficult, difficult conversation with someone who works for me. Think about this verse. You bless all who depend on you for their strength. So maybe when your eyes open and that thought, that feeling hits you, oh, I've got that today. You remember, God, you promise you bless. There's that word again, bless. You bless all who depend on you for their strength. I'm depending on you today. As you walk into the office and the unexpected happens, God, you bless all who depend on you for their strength. I'm depending on you in this moment. As you get that unexpected phone call, God, you bless all who depend on you for their strength. I'm depending on you in this moment. When you get home at the end of the day and you are exhausted and you have some people that wear your last name, counting on you to play ball or have a conversation or sit down for a meal and your, your emotional energy is spent. You've had an exhausting day. God, God, you bless all who depend on you for their strength. I'm, I'm depending on you. God, I need you to strengthen me. So how do I live poor in spirit? I go to Jesus for wisdom. I rely on God's power daily. The the final way, how do I live poor in spirit? I wait on God's timing. See, part of being poor in spirit, yes, it's trusting God. Yes, it's depending on God. But not just for what he's going to do in and through me. Not just for how he's going to bless me. Also the when of when it's going to happen. 
part of living poor in spirit, part of depending on God is also trusting and depending on his timing. I, I wait on God's timing. And I think we have to remember in our waiting, God is always working. God does some of his best work in the waiting. It takes nine months for that baby to grow inside of mom. And there's, there's silence and there's waiting and it appears that nothing's happening. Something's growing, but apart from that, it would appear nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden new life is created. So you might be in the waiting of nine months and God might be about to bring some new life in some area of your life. You're waiting and it feels like it's useless and it feels like forever. And you're so ready for what you want God to do and what you believe he needs to do. And you're seeking him. It's coming in our waiting. He's working. Way back in the Old Testament, a book we we hardly ever look at, Lamentations chapter 3 says this, the Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him, to those who seek for him. See, if you're waiting, you can be poor in spirit and set yourself up to be blessed when in that waiting you're still trusting, you're still depending. You understand that if I'm waiting, it means that God is getting me ready for what he's preparing for me. Or God is getting what he's preparing for me ready because it's not ready. And and one of the things I've recognized, not just in my life, but if you look at the pages of scripture, think about this. The longer it takes to prepare, the better it'll be. If God could create the world in six days and it's taking longer than six days for what he's preparing for you, it's going to be good. You've got to recognize what God can do in a moment. And if, if there's a waiting involved, then you're not ready or it's not ready. But waiting on God's best always brings the best every single time. So when God wants to bless us, Jesus, most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, begins with eight ways, eight keys to being blessable by God. When God wants to bless us, why would we settle for less? As a follower of Christ, is it possible that you could have, you could experience, you could be so much more if you put yourself, if I put myself in a place to be blessable, to live poor in spirit? So tomorrow, when there's that meeting that you're dreading, hey, begin now going to to Jesus for wisdom, reading his word and spending some time praying throughout the day. This week, when you have to deal with that person again that you've dealt with before, and it's a difficult person, you you do know there are difficult people in the world, right? And if you're the person that says, I I don't know any difficult people, it's probably you. You're the one everybody in your room, in your family room while you're watching this is thinking about. This week, when you have to deal with that difficult person again, you rely on God's power, not yours. I rely on God's power, not mine. And that thing that thing you've been waiting for, that you've been praying for, or maybe you used to pray and you stopped praying because you're not sure it's ever going to happen, that thing you've been waiting for that's created some anxiety and you felt some stress and you feel overwhelmed, hey, wait on God's timing. When you wait on God's timing, he always brings the best. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an If you do this, then this happens. It's an if-then clause. It's it's a cause and effect. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. What does that mean? Why does he use that phrase? Think about the kingdom of heaven. Everything scripture says the kingdom of heaven is, if you are a follower of Christ, that means you're an heir to the throne. The, The kingdom of heaven, it literally means you have an inheritance. So when I live poor in spirit, 
Something unique happens in my life. It's a unique kind of happiness that God brings because I will experience the ongoing inheritance of God in unexpected ways here, now, and forever there. Why would you live life? Why would I live life missing the inheritance of the King of Kings? It's fully available. And the way you step into that, see, you and I can't do any of the things Jesus talks about, any of the ingredients to live the blessed life and to experience what he has to offer. I can't do that if I'm not a Christ follower, because if I'm not a Christ follower, I'm still relying on me. And so if you want to experience the inheritance God has, if you want to experience the forgiveness of sin, if you want to know the spirit of God living in your life, giving you his power to rely on the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead then you've got to surrender your life to him. It's, it's the first step. And maybe today you know that. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ, I would love to lead you in a very simple prayer. If you'll bow your head, close your eyes, and, and let's pray together. If you'd like to surrender your life to Christ and become a Christ follower, say yes to the offer Jesus gives of forgiveness of sins and a guarantee of eternal life and his spirit living in me. Just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, as best I know how, I commit my life to you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I'd love to know that. I want to invite you to text your first name to 407-487-8311. Why would I ask you to do that? I ask you to do that because every week I get the names of people who text in and when you text in, I know that you've, you've committed your life to Christ and it allows me to be able to pray for you by name. I would love to be able to pray for you by name today. I'd love to be able to pray for you by name throughout this week. And so if you just prayed that prayer with me, shoot me a text, just your first name to 407-487-8311. Now, many of you have asked and been asking, hey, what, what are our plans to reopen? Honestly, we have detailed plans in place. We are fully ready and we're in a process right now of waiting on Orange County because we are a portable church that meets in a high school. They have to give us the green light to be able to meet again. And they have been extremely busy, understandably so, navigating a brand new season in education, also trying to wrap up a school year that became more unique than any we've ever experienced. And so, man, let, let's pray for our educators. Let's thank God for what they're doing. Um, but they're wrapping up the school year, and we hope to very soon hear from them about when we can be able to start meeting again. And when that happens, uh, we'll be able to let you know that. We have all the details in place. We have all the plans already worked out of what that's going to look like, how we're going to keep everything clean, how we're going to practice social distancing. All those things are in place. And so as soon as we hear from Orange County, we will let you know. Hey, I hope you have an amazing week this week. I want you to all be praying for you. And join us again next Sunday for the Beatitudes, the path to healing and experiencing the blessing God has for each of us. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at giveC3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.